At Her Spirit, we're here for you. We want to help you discover your potential, achieve your goals, ignite your fitness, find your community. Head to herspirit.co.uk and sign up for our core membership. Get access to our virtual classes, monthly challenges, expert advice and track your progress in our health hub. You'll also find your very own cheerleading squad who will support you every step of the way. Use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 and get three months completely free. It's time for you. Hello, everybody, and a huge, warm, huggy welcome to the Her Spirit Podcast. I say that because I have seen and I have hugged my lovely friend, Annie, because we went to the triathlon together. We were working... Oh, gosh, I'm so overexcited. It's ridiculous. I'm still... I, it, was, it was days ago. Um, oh, Annie, what an absolute pleasure to see you in real life. We were in, we're in Leeds because we were working, but we got to spend time with each other. We did, and it was absolutely fantastic, you know, and, it, and, I, and I think, you know, really what it emphasised was what a strange world we've been living in. I mean, we've kind of been together on these podcasts for months and months, you know, and and it's been absolutely wonderful. But, you know, the importance of seeing someone, you know, in the flesh and just, you know, just being able to be normal. But we had a busy weekend. Let's let's forget about the busy weekend. My most most brilliant part of the weekend was having dinner with you in your favourite restaurant. I had to actually eat what you like in that restaurant. What was it? It What was it? Spinach? Um, It was the... The Penny Giardinera and something that Ooh, a lot yes. of people don't know about me. I have this sort of like slightly um, and this funny way of when I have something, I have to have it always. And um, I think I've had that. You dish. nearly didn't, did you? I nearly didn't, and I just couldn't quite bring myself to have something else. Um, I didn't want to sit there and watch you eating my favourite dish and not be eating it myself. But it, it was, you know, it was, it was just, it was really lovely. It was really lovely. And and I tell you what. Listen, listen, Louise, you are my hero, darling, because how on earth you managed to be on that sofa on Monday morning looking absolutely blooming gorgeous. I love that shirt you were wearing. Um, and how did I know you were there? Because I was still in my hotel room, passed out at like seven o'clock <laughs> in the morning, just trying to get a coffee in my mouth because those those weekends are quite long. And I think as I've got older, I find it quite hard to recover from them because you've got this <laughs> adrenaline and you've spent sort of days prepping for them. And then well, it all happens. for five hours, aren't we? Yeah. And then I switch on the TV there, and, and there is my gorgeous friend um looking absolutely gorgeous and I just looked like I'd been run over by a truck or something I felt a bit jealous <laughs> so it's like how does she do it <laughs> oh well listen it was, uh, it was so it was just gorgeous to see you and I, and I had lots of lovely people came up to me um thank you everybody who did by the way who saw us at Lee Strathland and said how much they love the podcast and I said what they should really what we should really have done is press record at our dinner and there was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot that was said. There was, that would have made a really good. There podcast. was, and we talked a lot about the podcast, and we talked a lot about. We didn't have that much time, did we? But um, we no. had, in a, in an hour. Anyway. In an hour, I think we sort of you know took on like the world um, as we as oh. we do. Um, so um, I just want to do a little bit of introduction before um, we play our podcast. I think um, lots of you will find this podcast um, quite a hard listen. Some of it actually. Um, she is a hugely inspiring young woman. Um, she addresses mental health issues in a way that is incredibly honest and I think actually 
incredibly helpful. Would that be fair to say, Annie? Um, it's going to be a fantastic podcast because she is one hell of a lady, I have to say. Um, Annie, I'm really... Um very um, intrigued to speak to our next guest. I've chosen this person because um, I've read a book recently, which I thoroughly recommend, by the way. It's called Jenny Tough and it's called Tough Girl Adventures. And she's talked to some incredible, inspiring women who have gone out there and smashed their way um, doing exciting, adventurous things from walking to climbing to running to horse riding. I mean, just it's a great book. Um, anyway, one story particularly stood out for me and it is of this young woman who we're going to speak to to um, for the next 45 minutes or so. She's called Anoushe Hussein, and Anoushe I can see there is uh, waiting to talk to us. Um, I'm going to give you a bit of an introduction, Anoushe, but also I think that you, you know, you know your story, obviously, better than any of us. Um, I'll tell you what I'll say. I'll say you are a para-climber and a civil servant. Yep. Would that be a fair kind of acronym, do you think? That's pretty okay. fair. But that says nothing about, you know, the, the incredible journey that you've been on. So, um, Annie, Anoushe, here you are. Um, let's start. Oh, gosh, Anoushe, it's such a pleasure to speak to you. And I've been wanting to do this for so long. Um, I've been stalking you, actually, on Instagram and Twitter, haven't I? <laughs> a little bit, but it's all good. <laughs> Frankly, it's an honour to be stalked by you, so it's all good. <laughs> well, thank you very much for Sorry, responding. I'm fangirling slightly. That's good. That's fine. Um, thank you for responding. So, um, right. So take us back. When you were um, born, um, and this is perfect, everybody will know this if they know you, you had um, your right arm missing below your elbow. That's just something that was, that's part of you. Yeah? Yes, exactly. Um, you've had since then, oh gosh, I mean, I don't know how to put it, but you can explain it, a checkered history health-wise. Do you want to take us a little bit through it? Yeah, a, a fairly checkered history. Aside from being the average kid with one and a half arms, which I'm, I'm not sure you can be an average kid with one and a half arms. But yeah, I mean, I I was a little bit poorly as a kid, but never, never anything major. And then come sort of teenage years, uh, my joints started slipping out of place and we had no idea why. Uh, I thought my right shoulder popping out of place was a really cool party trick until my parents and the doctors disagreed because I used to just do it on my own and then finally I decided to show them because I thought it was cool. Uh, <laughs> Didn't I wasn't in any pain or anything, so it wasn't actually something I thought was wrong. I just thought it was normal. Uh, clearly not. Um, lots of investigations later, and uh, we get I get told at the time I was competing in martial arts, um, and I sort of get told by my who was going to become my surgeon at the time sort of goes, look, you, you can't keep going with impact sports. So when you punch, you punch, and your the rest of your shoulder goes in the process because there's nothing telling it that there's a resistance, there's no wall, there's no person to punch, essentially. And so I kind of had to stop cold turkey. And at the time, I was sort of training after school, sort of, we're talking anything between 10 and 16 hours a week, if it was a competitive week. So, you know, it was pretty much my life outside of school when I wasn't sort of doing other things. And um, I was pretty heartbroken at the time. And then that's when I sort of went into a very much so why me moment like what are my joints doing to me my body's betrayed me I don't trust myself anymore I don't trust my body and then at the age we because I'd stopped sports we didn't realize one of the side effects of stopping all sports was going to be that the rest of my joints were going to follow my right shoulder so suddenly my thumb was going my knees were going and at the age of 18 I had my first thumb surgery 20 and my second thumb surgery things I only have one left hand so if your thumb is going it's kind of petrifying um you're sort of you're 18 you're meant to be starting university like any other school 
person in my a year and suddenly I was doing uni but I was also doing coming home for the summer for surgeries basically that was kind of my summer holidays. Anusha I mean it's just you know it, the list is just terrifying actually but anyway carry on yeah it just kept going yeah and then and then yes yeah, so I came home did a year out decided to do my master's and then in literally first year of master's get diagnosed with um, cancer. And I remember like, I remember getting sort of like, I'd had my first surgery before we thought I had cancer. It was just a really big benign tumor. So we took it out and, and I remember getting the call and, and I remember it was like a university party um, at the, for, for finishing our year. And I remember getting into a corner and just quickly calling up the hospital because I hadn't had the results back. And I sort of went, is everything okay? And they're like, no, no, you're fine. You're benign. You're all good. And I was like, oh, thank God for that. A couple of weeks later, I'm like studying um, at home and I get a, I get a call. Do you know what? It's, it's a Thursday, I think. And I get a call. Could you come in on, on Saturday? Would it be okay? Like uh, the doctor wants to speak to you. I'm like, it's Luxembourg. It's a really small country. I really thought the doctor wanted to go on holiday and finish off all his patients early. I didn't think... Little did I know, I was the only patient in the outpatient side on that hospital. They'd actually opened it for me. He was in his civilian clothes, not like a lab coat like normal. And uh, he basically said, yeah, um, sorry, it's cancer. Well, he didn't even say that. He said, it's anomalous cells. And I'm like, in my head, because we spoke French and in my head, I'm going anomalous cells and abnormals. Oh no, that's not good. That's cancer in my head. And I'm like, you mean cancer? And he's like, no, anomalous cells. And I'm like, if it's cancer, you're going to have to actually say the word because I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to believe after everything that's happened, you know, after everything I've tried to work with my body, against my body, everything that this has happened. And it did. Uh, and next thing I knew, I was being flung into what any cancer patient who's had active treatment will know, that the, 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 the treatment survival mode where you're just being flung into appointment after appointment, treatment after treatment. So you don't really have the time to process what's going on to you. Because you're basically just going from appointment to appointment and you're feeling really poorly in between if you're going through treatment as well. So the chemo, the radiotherapy, trying to also not, you know, to not let go of my master's in the process because I was halfway through it. I wasn't going to stop. So, yeah, I finished treatment on the 19th. Well, I finished active treatment, so radiotherapy on the 19th of January 2012. And I started my first job on the 1st of March while still doing my master because it was part of the master. So I just basically no eyebrows back yet, still using fake eyelashes. I told you, Annie, she was something else, didn't I? You did, Anusha. I just kind of, I'm, I'm wondering at what point you didn't say, do you know what? I've had enough of this. Like this, because I, I think you, anyone would, would listening to this would say, it would have been fair for, to, for you to say, this isn't fair now. Like what the hell is going on? Oh, so I did that. I did the, this isn't fair from probably around the age of 16 to the age of sort of, I had cancer because I really didn't understand why my body was sort of, joints were going all over the place and I and I really was yes I was trying to make the most of whatever was going on you know with my life but also I was very much so was resentful of the people around me who seemed so healthy um that they seemed to be able to do anything and still be fine and yet I seemed to just be able to walk somewhere and pop an ankle or something I, I you know and and also because I hadn't officially gotten any of my diagnoses that I have now there was a sort of thing of what well, you're too young to be ill and it's probably in your head happening to me as well, which really wasn't great because it was a hugely invalidating experience. So I was feeling guilty for feeling that life was unfair, even though all of this was completely real. It, but at the time I wasn't in the, you know, best complete environment. Like my parents are supportive and, but it still was really challenging. So yeah, unfair. 
Um, so you found out, didn't you, that you have, and uh, you'll have to pronounce it for me. Is it Ehlers-Danlos syndrome? Yeah, so it's Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos. in short, Thank EDS. You. Right. And that means that there's something really strange going on with your joints, essentially? Um, no, so actually it's a collagen defect. So collagen, right. is, yes, collagen is one of the main protein building blocks of the body, which means it can actually impact more than just your joints. Uh, for people with EDS, it's often systemic. It can be um, digestive organs. It can be bladder issues. You can have breathing issues, but also some people have, there are 13 types of EDS. I have the, the hypermobile type, which is my joints are hypermobile. I'm, that's my, my main characteristic, but there are people with vascular EDS or other types where they might be characterized with things like actual, you know, blood vessels, you know, coming apart on them. Essentially it's, it's much harder. Um, can I just go back to that point where, because um, you you were really good at martial arts, weren't you? You were, you know, as you say, competing at a high level. And I've heard you talk about, and you mentioned it a little bit there earlier, how actually that was really helping you, wasn't it? Unknowingly, you were really helping yourself. Yeah. So if you think about it, um, if your collagen production is impaired, so the blueprint for me to create collagen is impaired. So whatever collagen I make, it's going to be a bit faulty. Um, and collagens in your tendons and your ligaments, which essentially, in my case, stretch, and my joints become loose. So the next, the next thing that can hold you together are your muscles, right? So it's your muscles that effectively act as a scaffolding. They don't do the same job, which is why you still have problems, um, and that's why you that leads to chronic fatigue because your muscles are working so hard to essentially do a job they're not designed to do. But yeah, if you stop moving. I'm not saying movement is a cure. I'm not saying movement is, is going to work for everybody. But for a lot of people, movement is actually essential to keeping themselves from degrading any further. Mm. Anisha, tell, it, tell us a little bit about, um, you've, you, you've got an interesting, very interesting life and you speak six languages, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> for someone who speaks two and a half, I'm, I'm, I'm massively impressed. What was your childhood like? Where did it all start? Where did you grow up? So I was born and grew up in Luxembourg. And, um, yeah, I had a relatively, I, I guess, simple but lovely childhood. My parents were really supportive. They had a charity in the UK supporting them called Reach, which is a charity for upper limb children. Um, and basically their slogan was always it's ability, not disability that matters. And my parents took that to heart. Uh, my parents are originally from Pakistan. So I have that heritage in me as well and culture. So I sort of lived a dual, triple identity i guess so you know uk british pakistani luxembourgish and european in a mixing pot as i grew up so i took a bit of the, the best of all the cultures i guess and we loved it. annie's mentioned first of all when we started talking to you uh, you can hear it in your voice in your accent which is just <laughs> this wonderful you know mix of things isn't it you explain explain to us that it changes yeah so basically when i speak to anybody with a relatively strong accent i will pick it up off them without realizing and it's it's it, it can be embarrassing sometimes because i'll also sometimes pick up the colloquialism so if they're using slang in their language in like I'll pick up the same the same words. I'll actually just pick it up and go run with it. You must have a really sort of um, uh, a brain that is very, um, I don't know, kind of spongy and, do you know what I mean, able to uh, kind of take in all that information in a way that other people don't. I don't know because I'm not great at quiz games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you'd think I could do, I could absorb more. Um, but when it comes to languages, maybe maybe it's just because I speak so many that I've picked up an ear for it. That's brilliant. I love it. Very impressive. You also swam when you were young. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, That was so, that was when I was like 
five and six and seven, I think. So I started off with my parents put me into Bharatanatyam dancing, so Sri Lankan dancing, really at the beginning, and then swimming because my brother happened to swim. So it was just really convenient that my mum could take us both at the same time. But it's not something you've kept up. No, I mean, I enjoy swimming. Don't get me wrong, I do enjoy water. Um, and there's some, there's a freedom to water that you don't get when you're in normal air, I guess. Um, but um, one of the things is once I started wearing a headscarf or became, a, and particularly before I started wearing a headscarf and becoming more body conscious, I felt less and less comfortable getting into the water. Um, and you started wearing a headscarf when you were at uni, is that right? Uh, yeah, just before my master's. So we're talking about 2010 now, it's just over 10 years. And I think I read today that one of the reasons you didn't was because of sport. Yeah, I was actually so a lot of my family, my mum my doesn't wear a lot of my family don't actually wear it. It's very sort of very individual choice. And um, but a lot of the concerns I had was would I be able to lead the same life I did before I started wearing a headscarf? And I'd been considering for a number of years, I just kept finding reasons not to. And then I ended up coming to the UK for a visit to family plus seeing a few of the universities for an open day. And just so happened that we ended up going to the mosque because there was an event I wanted to be at and I was wearing a headscarf for the mosque and then I came home and realized actually I always used to think it was super uncomfortable and three hours after wearing it I'd forgotten it was on my head and I was like well I can't use that excuse anymore <laughs> and then gradually I was like crud well what excuses do I have left and and my um my my cousin who I was with I sort of said can we just have this really random conversation pretend I'm not Muslim right now and I'm asking you all these awkward headscarf questions and I asked her all these awkward headscarf questions she took it like really well and I said look I really want to try but I'm really scared of trying and how I'll cope because you know it's quite faffy sometimes wearing a headscarf I wear it the way I do now because it used to get in the way of my right arm and things so I sort of asked her like can I go outside and wear it for five minutes and see how I feel and if I don't feel like it's okay I'd say that's my attempt gone and she said yeah wear it for as long as you want didn't tell anybody the next day I just left the house to go for my open day and wore the headscarf and then it was just such a pleasant experience actually I was expecting to have problems at the airport coming back from London Uh, I was expecting to have problems from the people who knew me in Luxembourg but actually do you know what um yeah there were there were some interesting comments but pretty much everybody realized I was the same once I started swearing again so it was okay Uh, tell us about um, so um, about the journey into climbing because I know that this is your absolute passion in life and you've got so many interesting things to say about it. But it wasn't something you were planning, was it? God, no, I fell into it, um, which is kind of cool because you fall in climbing a lot. Um, so yeah, I just um, <laughs> yep. I tried it as a kid on a school trip. Uh, we'd all gone on the same school trip, and I tried it the first time. It didn't really say anything to me. Um, it was cool but that's about it um we we tried it again and the first time I'd gone up I'd only gone up half of a route because I tired out and the next time around because I realized we were going back I wanted to do the same as my friends and get to the top of that route because I was like I want to be like my friends so I basically fought to get up there and top the route and I was like that sensation of getting to the top of something was actually quite nice and that was enough for me to ask my parents can I take this up as a hobby when I got back now I was already in martial arts by then and already starting to build up um I was new to martial arts but building up a certain interest in it and very very interested in it and my parents were like climbing dangerous sport they weren't familiar with it either not a lot of climbing walls in Luxembourg so they were like no you can't climb and I was like fine um and I kept asking every year or so can I climb can I climb no so it kind of got left behind and then yeah, I tried it on a family trip. There happened to be a climbing wall and a climbing instructor. My parents let me go and they could see I really enjoyed it. But again, that would have been five years later already. And then 10 years after that, 
um, I'd had cancer and my left arm. So if, my, if I've got half a right arm, my left arm was really struggling post-cancer. So one of the issues is I actually do still get fatigued putting my left arm above my head. So things like hair drying, putting my socks on, putting clothes in the cupboard were starting to become a real problem. Now, that's that was really sort of independence issues at that point, personal independence. And my one of my friends who happened to be on the same school trip as me and happened to take up climbing um, as her sport, said, well, you know, you've been wanting to climb for ages. You've tried hundreds of sports since you've left um, martial arts. You've still not found something that's engaged you as much as martial arts mentally. Why don't you come climbing with me? And I said, you're bonkers. Like, it's one thing for me to climb as a little seven, eight-year-old, you know, who's relatively healthy. It's another thing who, you know, I won't be able to do my harness. I don't know how to do my knots. I've change body shape the harness is going to highlight those things in a really big way which I'm not comfortable with how am I going to do it with a headscarf and she would just went look you're making excuses you are actually scared um what's the worst that can happen the best that happens is you find something that changes your life the worst that happens is you go on to another sport I couldn't really argue with that everyone needs a friend like that don't they everybody (laughs) needs a friend like that um and yeah we went climbing and it was a horrible session um because I was Frankly, it was painful and I couldn't get to the top of anything. And I just my toes and, you know, the typical new climber stuff, toes hurt, everything hurt. But there was seconds, milliseconds, seconds in that time when I was so focused on trying to find the right movement, trying to do something, trying to balance, trying to work out how to move that actually I forgot I was ill. I forgot the stuff I'd been going through for the first time. Uh, in a very long time, I felt normal, human, a climber. It was such an amazing form of escapism for me that it wasn't the the climbing that was, it was that escapism that was making me come back to the wall. So I decided to get stronger in the gyms. And, and by strong, I mean, just learning how to do a bit of cardio and stuff, no lifting anything and whatever, just, to, you know, whatever is going around in a standard gym. And then kept coming back to climb every two three months with my friend for a couple of hours. It was never going to be more than that. And then I moved to London and I didn't know anybody here. And I moved here for work. So I didn't know anybody um, really to climb with. And then about five years ago, I moved to a new flat. And my by then I'd done a taster course in climbing. So at least I knew how to do my harness up properly, safely. And at least I knew how to do my basic knots. And uh, my new flatmate at the time, she she wanted to climb. There was a climbing center not far from us, but she didn't know how to do her knots. And I said, well, I can teach you. And then we said, well, let's, <laughs> go and let's go and be down together as a sport where there's no pressure. Let's just go and enjoy ourselves and use it as a bonding exercise. And I was like, okay, that works. Um, and we went. And around the same time, I found out about paraclimbing nationals in the UK. And I was like, oh, my God, there's like parasport in Luxembourg is not as developed as in the UK for as different sports. So it's just a really still sometimes a new concept for me. Uh, And I was like, "Ooh, competitions. I haven't competed in 10 years. What happens if I try that again? Well, I'm not doing that without having a coach. I got a coach. And a year later, I was ranking second in the UK in my category. Um, And saying that, like still struggling to walk from the tube station to the climbing center. I said, I still have to take the bus because I was still that deconditioned. Warming up would tire me out too much. So I'm still sort of, you know, fighting with that sort of stuff on the side. At Her Spirit, we know how powerful women can be. 
We love your strength, your determination, your compassion. We love the energy that sparks when we connect and spur each other on. Her spirit was created to ignite that flame of determination, to unleash your energy, to build your self-belief and to help every woman find a way to your healthiest mind, body and soul yet. We want to inspire one million women just like you to be active, healthy and happy because you deserve it. Head to herspirit.co.uk, join our core membership and use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 to get three months completely free. Join our monthly challenges, get access to the Her Spirit Health Hub and track your activity levels, mood, food, sleep and stress every single week with your own personalised dashboard. Get expert advice and join daily live classes that can be played back at any time. Plus... Find the support that you need to get started and stay motivated. Just sign up at herspirit.co.uk and use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 to get three months completely free. It's time for you. And you're second in your category in the UK? Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. Um, there's lots more to tell, but uh, Annie, I've 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 never been on a climbing wall, so I'm I, I'm such a kind of no. I know Annie. Annie's face tells you a story, doesn't oh it? My good. I know. My goodness. I, I climbing is Annie's a climber. Well, I wouldn't say I was. I did quite a lot of climbing before when I sort of retired for, from my sport, and I really got it. I thought it was something I was going to do a lot more, but being a triathlete, I somehow always revert back to a bit of swim, bike, run. But I, I, I listened to something that you said, I think, on the BBC, where you talked about climbing being your form of meditation, uh, yes. and I think I think that's. I think that's really great. And I, having done climbing, I really get that. There's, you had, I think you have to focus so much on where your body is going that you don't have the space anymore to think about anything else. Um, you also talk about, um, you've got a kind of, uh, about the sort of relationship you have with the wall. You talk about it being a mirror, don't you? So just explain, is that is that a good thing, a bad thing, a scary thing? I like it, actually. So for me, the thing about climbing and the thing about the climbing wall is the climbing wall, unless they've reset a route, which happens every three months, the climbing wall is practically going to be the same thing every time you go there. You go there angry, you go there sad, you go there frustrated, you go there stressed. The wall hasn't changed, you have. So if you're climbing on the wall changes, that's a reflection of who you are on that day. And that's why it's a, that's why it's a mirror. And because climbing is such a full body, total sport where you really do have to think sometimes where you're going to go, you can see when somebody's nervous, you can see when they're hesitating, you can see in their body language, if they're launching for a jump, you can tell when they're nervous when they're launching for a jump and you can tell when they're not. Because trust me, I launched for a jump last week and you can definitely tell I was nervous. What I'm saying is you can really see, so the wall is kind of like a mirror. If you see somebody like shifting their feet a lot, they're often either nervous or they don't know what they're doing. Um, do you know what I mean? So it's, it, you can see that it's a mirror it's a non-judgmental mirror of your state of mind and body on the day I like that idea um about being it being non-judgmental that's kind of really um supportive in a way is would that be the right way to describe it I mean the climbing wall is also your friend ultimately because if you manage to succeed at something it celebrates with you because you manage to climb it right but if you don't manage something but you just manage to get a few steps further it's still something to celebrate it's it's, it's fascinating it, it is how how long now are you have you been into climbing how, how many years uh, in are you now i would have reached five years with my coach this february so 
five years, seven months or so, eight months. And what does the what does the progress look like from when you started to how you climb now? I think I climb probably more mindfully than I used to. I used to always be sort of like get up to the top as quickly as possible in the beginning. Um, There's also I wasn't as strong or as knowledgeable of technique or balance as I was. So like in the in the past, often I'd have to rush up because otherwise I'd run out of power and strength. Whereas now it's more of a case of I can take the time, even if I've had setbacks in the last year, I can still take the time to go up and appreciate the climb uh, much more than I used to. So I'd say that my body has changed um, literally like in a good way. I, a lot of people were t- at, like telling me I'd get really big shoulder muscles and wouldn't fit into my clothes anymore in the first year yeah that's no that's definitely not a thing yes my body's changed for the positive I've become you know just you know you can tell I climb but it's not anything in a bad way if anything it's loads of people have been complimenting how it looks like I've been training in a nice flattering way which is quite nice to see uh, because I did have a really difficult relationship with my body and I still sometimes do. Okay I wanted to I wanted to pick up on that um yeah there's something about being strong which is really empowering isn't it so just tell yeah tell us about you know I love the way you talk sometimes about your body You, you talk about it being her I am who I am I trust my body yeah so tell us about um First of all, body image. Yes. What's your What's your journey on that been like? Uh, fascinating. So I think coming from a Pakistani culture where, um, especially, and I wouldn't necessarily even say Muslim culture, I would say Pakistani culture, there is a sort of thing of, you know, maybe wearing looser clothes, not showing curves, but also being shamed for maybe having curves or maybe gaining weight, losing weight. So there's always a lot of commentary about weight culturally. That, that that's like a constant you expect that when I when I see people uh, and that's kind of normal which 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 is fine but when you're sensitive about that issue when it's something that you you know you, you you're getting you know conversations with doctors about or for instance and things like that it can become quite hard to then feel positive or negative about that type of stuff so I found I've always found those conversations really demanding and draining and then obviously with the surgeries my body has changed. I've recently had abdominal surgery uh, back in January. So I've currently got this lovely pouch on the bottom of my gut, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not enjoying. Plus I can't actually, because it's still quite numb, so I can't feel it. But I, you know, it's, it's difficult to see that in the mirror at the moment and know that that is currently me. But that is, you know, at the moment, like if I rephrase that, that is my body telling me it's been through a lot. That is my body telling me that, you know, it suffered some trauma. And that is my body telling me that I need to make sure I listen to it as I retrain. That's, that's, a, re- that's a really good message, I think. You know, we're, we talk a lot on this podcast about not being happy, not having the perfect body, but, you know, ultimately, what is the perfect body? And, and as you, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think for you to turn around and go, yeah, I've got a bit of a little, you know, pouchy thing going on here, but that's my body saying, hey, you know, I've had some trauma and, you know, and we need to find a way through this. And, and I think we've got to be kind, kinder to ourselves. Yeah. If, if anything, the, the run up to last year with between dislocating my right knee right at the beginning of lockdown last year and then leading to what ended up being a very complicated health year and then now becoming a part time wheelchair user and then the abdominal sorry, surgery. My body has definitely changed in the last year in ways that I wasn't expecting this year. And that's that's you know, that is part of life. I have been through those things that is going to reflect and 
that is just my at the moment my new normal gosh you're very good at your um being philosophical about it um tell us so you're part-time wheelchair user at the moment and back back climbing again i've seen i've been watching your um your instagram as well you know with all the the weights that's very important isn't it for you to be able to climb. So saying that, I didn't weight train for my first couple of years while I was climbing. I started weight training partly because I was intimidated about lifting free weights. I know that feeling. I've only just started and it, it, it's kind of, it's such a strange thing because it is really scary. But once you start doing it, it's, it's really fun, isn't yeah. it? I, I'm kind of like confusing myself, Anusha. <laughs> same, same. So it's, it was scary because I didn't know how to lift. I didn't know how I was going to lift one and a half hand up. Like how, I, how would I adapt my prosthetics and things like that? I used to, I, you know, got a sewing machine and started, you know, creating adaptations for myself to try and get around, you know, certain weights which pull my pull my fake arm off literally it just pops off and then something i'm like left so you wake you're making things to keep it on is that what yeah, you're doing exactly wow. like straps and all sorts of things <laughs> you know dropping by a home base or whatever else and like literally picking up kit and stitching things uh because yeah when it gets hot or whatever else the thing just drops off because sweat is you know it stops the seal um yeah and and eventually once i started learning how to lift and things like that it was really really interesting how much I started enjoying for me a, a basic deadlift is so nice because it's one of those things you can lift something and you can drop it down and you can feel really strong about yourself um I got to finally start lifting a month ago um and it's gone from like using the lighter bar to now the normal bar and I hate calling them the ladies and the men's bar I think it should just be called the lighter and the heavier bar I don't see why they need to because frankly I prefer the guy's bar anyway the for the palm grip and then um, so the, the, for me, the, the, the lighter bar doesn't work. And then now finally putting plates on the bar weeks later, uh, it's so satisfying. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely see that. Oh, I can never find any of the so-called ladies bar anyway in the gym. So I just have to crack on. I didn't actually know there was men and women's. Um, yeah, so ladies are 15 kilos and men's are like 20. Right, okay. God, maybe that's why some days I could... Annie, I can't believe we're educating you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I need a lot of educating. Don't you worry. Um, you've inspired like, so many people. And um, as a consequence of that, you, you won the Helen Rollinson Award for Inspiration at the Sunday Times Sportswoman Woman of the Year Award. I mean, that, wow. I mean, that's, that's an incredible award to win. And I guess, is it some, is it some sort? That's my dog. Sorry, guys. Shush. Sorry. Wait there. Wait there. <laughs> Anusha, I'll just whisper while she's gone. Honestly, it's always my dogs that do it. So yeah, I'm getting to the podcast. We'll go. Well, Annie's dog dared to bark. Oh God, no, the children. <laughs> the children have just hammered on the door. They're just back from school. But I guess you know that you've been through so much that the, winning an award like that, it can't give you anything back. It can't give you your health back that you've lost. But it must have been an immense sense of achievement. I think winning awards, not just the Helen Rollison, but the other ones that I've I've ended up. Uh, being being nominated for and, and getting has been a little bit of a surreal experience to be fair like the amazing imposter syndrome part of me still goes I don't see what special thing I'm doing besides leading my life and sharing what I do which is basically what I do that's how I see it I go up I climb I climb a bit hard I get home I share some mental health stuff when I have mental health stuff going on I'm just sharing essentially what is my truth and hoping that 
I guess for me, when I had cancer, I found it a, to be a hugely isolating experience. I didn't know anybody my age in Luxembourg who'd had cancer. So it was a very, a very isolating experience. And I just didn't want, whenever I feel something is isolating, I want to share because for me, it reminds me of when I had cancer, but also if I can share and it can help somebody else feel less alone, maybe get help, maybe look for peer support, maybe take a step for themselves. That for me is why I do it. It's so they don't have to feel that same feeling of isolation I've ended up feeling a few times. And you are really um, uh, brutally honest as well, which is, as you say, you know, really something people reading your Instagram and all the rest of it, when, when you're feeling not good, you tell people. And, you know, yeah, exactly. and that will be reflected in other people's experience. It's it's about being, for me, for mental health in particular, you know, it's not visible. It's not visible, especially on Instagram. It's not visible in a picture. And I find a lot of people who talk about mental health tend to do it with really smiley pictures as well. So I try and not find a smiley picture. Like I don't have very many of them, but I try and find a not smiley picture when I'm talking about mental health because it is about something that often people don't feel great. So why have a smiley yeah. So what helps? I mean, we know, obviously, the wall helps you. What helps you when you're having one of those um, moments when you, you, you things are difficult? Um, so rational thinking. So really sort of just listing down what's going on. What what can I if I'm often it will be a combination of factors, which means like, you know, I'm just going through a bit of a storm of, say, too many medical appointments, a bit of stress at work. Um maybe me feeling not great at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a lot of requests on my time. And so all of a sudden I'm having to sort of just juggle a lot more than I'd like to because it wasn't planned. And it's just one of those things where I'm going, okay, right, what can I offload immediately or what can I delay? What What is movable? What is factual in this whole situation? So my hospital appointments won't change. They, they, they sometimes suck, but they don't change. Mm-hmm. So I can't really you know, there's no point to being upset about them. It's beyond my control. It's being really cognizant of that. Yeah, no, that's really good. So what's movable was really, that's a good idea as well for people. What's movable, what's within or without your control. And then obviously like self-care. So if that means shutting down for the evening and watching some TV, doing some crochet, doing something that makes me happy. So I really like dancing really late at night to loud dance music on my headphones at Silent Disco (laughs) when nobody can see me. And it just makes me really happy. Because you get when your body moves, you can't help but feeling happy, right? It's it's your body telling your mind to be happy, telling your body. It's like like reverse psychology. Yeah. There is this thing about if you can make your body do something, your mind will follow. So it's about just getting into that pathway. Mm. Um, and equally, like food, um, you know, on a really bad day, it might be chicken wings and ice cream. Um, not in the same bite. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But anyway, carry on. Um, But yeah, otherwise, you know, it's about sort of eating well, um, you know, getting the nourishment that you need, getting the sleep you need, getting the hydration you need, just taking care of yourself because ultimately that's one less body stress to deal with. I think that's brilliant advice. It's a lot to think about. Yeah, and I think it's brilliant advice actually because uh, the lovely um, Emmy uh, Brunner that we had on the podcast a few podcasts ago now spoke about that, that when you know you're heading for a tough time, um, I guess for someone like me, um, I might sort of like end up having late nights and drinking a bit too much wine and things. But actually then you wake up and feel crap. And on the top of the, you know, the fact that you're not feeling great about something, you actually then not looking after your body. And I, and I think that, you know, 
know, that's a, a brilliant lesson to say, okay, what can I, what can I take control of here? What can I do to make myself feel better? And you have so much on your plate as well going on because also uh, you're a civil servant. So like, tell us a little bit about what your daily, you're obviously training a fair amount when, when the you know, yeah. walls open and you're back climbing um, properly, but you're also obviously got a very grown up, what I would call a very grown up job. Uh, and you're probably working pretty hard and long hours too. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I work a standard nine to five job, which isn't always nine to five, you know, like most jobs aren't always nine to five in particular during the COVID pandemic. It was, you know, the, during the height of it, it definitely wasn't a nine to five job anymore. Um, but you know what, that is the nature of work. Um, you know, you put in, you get out. So that's, that's what happens. So yeah, I have a typical day job, which means, yeah, all my, uh, training physio activities happen afterwards uh hospital time obviously happens during work which means inevitably I'm catching up like I might get the time to go but I don't always you know my workload doesn't change so which means I'm putting in extra time to deal with my workload on top and obviously like it's it's hard like when I because of the the, the way the the sort of the pandemic has gone now I'm getting a lot of my appointments on the phone and you know I don't have like an exact time when the doctor's going to call so I might be literally in the middle of a meeting and suddenly the doctor the hospital's calling on my phone and I'm seeing my phone I'm going oh crud I've got to answer that and people in office are really really good about that generally and but it means I'm having to switch to maybe you know dealing with uh, some sort of randomly very serious meeting popping out doing a five minute call at the same desk about some serious health matter and then switching back on to work there's no processing taking place right now it's very hard to switch off yeah um that you make you make a really good point about that because the way the appointments have changed and, and my my issues are not nearly obviously um as as um important as yours but you, you're right the doctors are going to phone you in a two-hour period and you're like well in that two-hour period i have no idea you know there's many things that might be happening you're absolutely right um you and you didn't mention all the kind of charity work you do um you you're an ambassador for limb power for example i mean there's so much amazing work that you do i want to ask you a little bit about the sort of climbing community because yes i know they from what you've said they welcomed you in with kind of like you know which was fantastic so tell us about what they're like as a community because i you know like i've talked about being intimidated about going to weights i would feel intimidated by going to a climbing wall so I, I was actually really intimidated the first time I went out to and to any climbing wall. Um, and it was actually because I had my flatmate to go with and we knew we'd be sort of bad together and ignore everybody it kind of made it much easier to go. So I would say if you are intimidated by going to a new space, go check out the space on your own. Go check out the space with a friend um, because that will just make life a lot easier. Um, but you know what? There was nothing to be scared about. Um, I remember calling up the centre I climb at now and sort of saying, look, I have one and a half hands. Are you guys okay with me climbing? And they were like, why wouldn't we be? And I was like, oh, dude, great. <laughs> <laughs> and that's made life easier. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, the, the centre now knows me. They know when I've been sick because I haven't turned up in a couple of, you know, oh, in a week and then sort of, they, they, you know, I'm back and they're like, you've been away. Uh, so they know me because I'm that frequently there. At one point they offered me a tent because um, it was that many hours. Um but yeah, the climbing community as a whole, I mean, I think one of the great things about the sport, especially when you're roped climbing, is you start learning to develop these really big trust, like trust with the person holding your rope, because eventually they're holding your rope. You know, they are the responsible for your safety as much as you are theirs when they're on the climbing wall, which means you develop some really, really good friendships. It's a great way to make friends for me. And it's also uh, like a small social environment, which I find less overwhelming than a big social environment. 
I'm guessing that this goes without saying that, you know, the, the lockdown period must have been pretty tough for you because, um, by the sounds of it, climbing is not just something that you're, you're very good at, but it is also vital for your mental health. And there must have been a pretty tough period where nothing was open and you couldn't do, you know, what is necessary for Anusha to sort of like function really well, you know. Yeah. So heading into the lockdown, I was actually working on a climbing project. So I'd spent six months um, sort of being a bit of a machine on the wall for a bit and like dedicating all my climbing time to that, which meant the sort of the lockdown. And I actually had COVID or we think I did. And and that made me quite well. And then before lockdowns. So just to say when it was we, we knew it was in the country, but it wasn't necessarily as bad as we thought it was. And so I was struggling to recover from that. The project had to be put on sort of stalled while I regained fitness. And then suddenly lockdowns happened. My wedding was supposed to be in the first week of lockdowns. That was also another one to add to the stress. I dislocated my right knee in the first week of lockdown and my husband was stuck at his parents, which meant I was, I went from having a flatmate and my husband who'd visit, well, my now husband who'd visit every now and again to suddenly living with nobody (laughs) in my flat my knee was gone I couldn't actually walk I wasn't supposed to be walking on it but I was because I was on my own um the doctor saying I'm not putting you on the shielding list but please please don't go out to the shops or the pharmacy and I was like well even if I could I can't because I can't physically walk now Uh, (laughs) my husband catching COVID in April straight (laughs) straight after the lockdown started and his his family being quite unwell and then yeah it was traumatic and then obviously me not being able to move which had I been able to move more like gone to commute to work or even going to the climbing wall I would have noticed straight away how bad my knee was and I would have ended up in A&E but the problem is we were you know all trying to avoid going to A&E at the time so you know and I ended up with a blood clot uh, at the same, you know, during that period as well. And at one point, they, I think I spent about eight weeks with them telling me I might have relapsed and got terminal cancer. What? So I was both planning. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was really bad. Like I had eight weeks living on my own over here with the thoughts of, oh my God, have I gone terminal with how am I going to plan a wedding? <laughs> it was awful. It was, no, it was traumatic. It was absolutely awful. Um, I only found out the week before my religious wedding that I was in the clear and I was okay. Oh my God. It's not often we're speechless on this podcast, but you've just blown us both away. It was, no, it was, it was, it was absolutely surreal, which meant I threw myself into work because that's the only thing I had left last year to keep me absolutely sane was actually just working really, really hard because actually I couldn't climb. I couldn't really move very much. I because I need movement to help myself from destabilizing I didn't have that so I kind of lost my ability to walk being on my own all that time so by the time my husband finally got to see me he was like you can't even use crutches and I was like nope I'm done I ha- I need a wheelchair now that's it um I can't currently use my wheelchair independently so my current wheelchair my husband has to push around or somebody has to help me with um so I'm waiting for my proper one now, but it's it's been a, a year where I, for all intents and purposes, lost my independence. Wow. Are you, are you okay? I want to ask you, are you, are you okay? I want to give you a big hug, Anusha. <laughs> um, sorry, Annie, you had a question. Oh, she's, you're going to ignore my question, Anusha. <laughs> 
how do you keep smiling? I mean, you're just the most lovely, remarkable person, you know. The... I don't always smile. Okay. I, which okay. is why I share the bad mental health days. Um, and Louise, am I okay? I'm okay now. Okay. I have an incredible support network that realized I was maybe going to some dark and despairing moments and all of them virtually just kind of phone calls, Zoom calls, Um but it was also, for instance, quite a shock for my parents when I visited them in January um, to see their kid going from walking three hours comfortably with a 15 kilo backpack to what is currently 150 meters without carrying anything. Oh. Um, so it was a bit of a sh- shock for them. Mm. Um, I think the reality is I was semi-prepared for myself to have a degradation anyway at some point in the next 10 years it hit with covid i can't you know i'm blaming covid on this and then it just it's one of those things where yeah i i have a friend called dark and twisty she lives inside me she's part of me and she's the one who makes me see how 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 tough and and tough things can be my friends know all know her as well because when i say dark and twisty is out there they know i'm having a bad head day um and I'm having some really frank discussions with myself about how bad life has become sometimes, mm. just how unfair it might feel, how resentful I might be about why my health is degraded again. Um, and just the, you know, that sort of, I could go on the floor and hit the floor, you know, like, you know, tantramatic lifestyle going, this is so un- not okay. But ultimately, I still have things that are within my control. And that is ultimately the thing that brings me back. And Anoushe, uh, and I still have things to be grateful for. I, I want to say thank you for asking, answering my question because I know "Are you okay?" is actually the is a difficult question to answer. Yeah, it is. Um, oh gosh. Um, so <sighs> I just Sorry, don't. Go speech. I think you've. I think you've. Annie, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm okay. I think. What I'm getting from this, there are things we can't yeah. control in our lives. Yeah. There are things we are control, can control in our lives, but we keep talking. And I think the reason you are a successful woman, that you have a great job, that you you are a great climber, that you have, you know, a, a, a good husband is because you keep talking, you know, and that's why you're still here. And that's why you have so much to live for, you know, because you bring your yeah. your friends in, you bring that community, listen, whatever it is, and you keep going and you keep moving forward and you don't just survive, you thrive. I choose not to just survive. I make that choice every day. And it is a hard choice on some days to just not survive, to just go for it and say, life really sucks right now like trying I remember doing podcasts while also having doctor's appointments about whether I was terminal or not and not like talking about that because obviously I had no idea what was going on and was not I normally only share things about myself when I'm processed enough to be able to do that so I I make a choice when I share when I share the personal things but it was yeah you're right I have made or have been blessed with an incredible support network I've sought that out to some extent as well I've made the choice to make the most of what I've got and that's a choice ultimately Mm. but I also allow myself to feel vulnerable on those days I need to feel vulnerable um and and that's okay too to say you know what this is all a bit too much I'm gonna sit down and cry because I just need to 
So there'll be so many people who'll be so, um, you know, listening to this and, and feeling a lot of the way that you're feeling. Um, so just, let's go back to that thing. So if people are having, you know, they are in dark times, they think that things are, are really as bad as they can be. Um, what's, what's your advice? Is it to think about choice? What would your advice be to them? First of all, is to get support. If, yeah. if it's to the point where we're talking mental health crisis and, and potentially, you know, um, people triggered to the point of, you know, suicide and things like that, I would absolutely say get support. Like a problem shared is a problem halves. And I really believe that because you can spend a whole lot of time overthinking things in your head, overthinking things on lists, and you share it with somebody, a friend, an anonymous person on a on a helpline, and suddenly it becomes less bad because you're not on your own dealing with it anymore. You shared it with somebody. And I think that that's why talking for me is so important that I think everybody should do it. I know it's it can be really hard to, to talk. It can be really hard to find somebody you can trust. It can be really hard to not feel vulnerable in the process um, and, or to sort of reveal that vulnerability. I mean, I didn't used to be like this. I didn't used to talk the way I do, do now. It's when I sort of realized that I needed to, that I started. But when I realized, then that was it. There was no stopping me on that. Um, you know, I have a regular therapist and I'm happy to admit that. Uh, but also my friends are there and I, I, as I am there for them when they have, you know, bad mental health days or just need a rant, um, you know, I am there for them equally. I also find ways to release that energy, whether it's like having an aggressive cooking session with some pastry dough or, you know, I think the other day I haven't done it yet though. I have been tempted. My, um, I, I, I got told by, uh, somebody that I should take a a plastic bag take a plate put it in a plastic bag seal the bag and throw the plate so you don't make a mess when you're breaking the plate but it feels really satisfying to still break it um i've never actually tried it but i last week i got really close i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna take that aggressive cooking sessions uh, that is what that's gonna be in my pocket for the next time things are frustrating i'm gonna have gonna take a new shade's aggressive cooking session brilliant brilliant idea you know work with your hands get the yeah. energy out get it out. It's no good. It's sitting inside you, whether that's despair, whether that's sadness, whether that's anger and frustration, it's sitting inside you is just going to fester. So get it out and do something productive with it while you're at it. So I turn, I try and turn my whatever energies into something productive. So if, it's, if I'm sad, I'll turn it into a painting. If I'm, you know, you know, uh, you know, needing to think and process, it might be a crochet piece or maybe some writing in my bullet journal or something like that. Cause I've got that to help track symptoms at the moment. So just filling that in just feels really mindful and calming. <laughs> so just oh. things to help. Um, so what- construction DIY that helps as well. What does the, the, the rest of this year look like for you? What plans have you got? Oof, so that is actually, I've got a humongous year coming up. So I'm in the process of setting up a sponsorship challenge. Mm. Um, and the website's actually nearly ready. I'm just waiting for one of the last charities to get their paperwork with the charity site in order and I'm ready to go. So I'm ready. I'm just literally waiting for the green button to go. Um, but essentially, uh, when I reached my, or was reaching my five years old clear from cancer four years ago, I indoor climbed the height of Mount Everest, not in a day I did took my own time uh, cause I wasn't, you know, I was still new to climbing and really prone to injuries and things like that. Cause I was so new and overdoing it. Um, but that was a decision I'd made. Uh, and this year I've decided to kind of take that a bit further. So <laughs> what are you going to do? I, um, so I've decided on a on a on a, a 
I think it's, uh, you know, the final decision is kind of nearly being made, but essentially the two guaranteed ones are I'm indoor climbing Everest again, because I figure I'm stronger than I was four years ago in terms of what muscles I have and, and how much balance and, and, and energy efficiency I have. But yeah, I'm weaker in other aspects. So it should relatively work out to be the same or better, one hopes. Um, then I'm going to um, indoor cycle lands into John O'Groats because that's something I'm never going to do in real life because every time I try and cycle, I hit a tree. So that's just something I, that happens. It's, you know, I, my balance is awful. My proprioception is really bad. So let's do it safely. Let's do it virtually. Let's do it in an adapted way. Okay, listen, um, we can help you with this because we do a lot of ci- indoor cycling on Her Spirit on, there we in go. the community. There we go. Um, and I've, 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 all I've done is indoor cycle to the height of Everest. So to climb, and that was already bad. So to climb it is just super respect. Anyway, we'll do, we'll, we'll we will help you as much as we possibly can with this, Anusha. Number, number, yeah. number three thing. What is it? Um, uh, indoor rowing. Um, we're still trying to make a decision between the channel and the Thames. So Thames is 10 times more than the channel. The problem is my right arm prosthetic keeps popping off every time I get sweaty. So I might stick with the the channel just oh, because just the channel. I'm going to have to do it's but, a long way yeah, I know it's a long way but I'm not doing it in one shot you've got to remember I'm doing this sort of progressively so it should be okay and and then you know I'm planning to rest plenty and eat plenty of carbs and whatever like loads of chocolate is coming in to yeah. deal with this um oh. but like um like because my arm keeps popping off that I'm, I'm just figuring like it's just going to be a bit less complicated to try and do a, a lesser distance because the more it pops off the more I stretch my my prosthetic bits and then I have to go get them dealt with at the hospital so the problem is like it's well they have to keep replacing parts so the problem is like it's one of those things where it might be a logistical maintenance issue to do something longer than the Thames uh the than the channel and then oh, finally gosh. and this is the one that's still subject for contention is Another is kind one. of like well well, yeah, because I'm planning to raise for four charities this time around instead of one like last time. So four charities means four sports. Okay, what is and, it? And my friend went, well, if you're doing four charities, you've got to do a fourth sport. What are you missing the most? I said, I miss walking into emptiness. That was part mindfulness for me was just taking a walk after a, a, you know, a, a session and just walking until I got tired and would have to either take a bus or a taxi home so like that was that used to be me in the past when I used to just need some time to just pound the pavement and um, I miss that I miss that a lot so um the plan is to virtually walk a, a certain distance and I'm figuring well Hadrian's wall maybe we're still trying to work out what the distance is going to be but we're thinking you know if I can do 150 meters now, why not try a challenge of 150 kilometers? Because, you know, a thousand times 150 meters should be doable. You are an, a staggeringly impressive young woman. You or really slightly are. slightly insane. Yeah, but I love that. Totally love that. My postman told me the other day I was crackers and I just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to take that. It's, it's one of those things. If you don't go for something big, in you know, if you don't, uh, you know, go for something you don't think you're going to get because imposter syndrome or your own belief in your own potential self-limiting beliefs or what anybody else has told you, then the reality is you're never going to go for anything in the middle range no, either. I think that's very true. Right. So I'm figuring, let me give it a shot. <laughs> Worst case, I don't ma- manage. Best case, I raise a ton of cash for charity and I enjoy myself in the pro- process while having to do my physio because I really, really don't like spending hours on the bike because I find it a bit boring. Sorry. Listen, we can sort that out, the boringness. Honestly, we're going we're gonna to solve that bit for you. Over what time frame is this in, in, you know, in 
Um, I depends on how well I do. Right. So basically, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where, in an ideal world, it, it, in my current baseline world, it should take me fifty weeks for each thing mm-hmm. individually. So in theory, or well, more for the walking, but fifty weeks if I carry on at the pace I'm going right now. The assumption is that pace will increase as I get stronger. So I'm hoping to do it for the end of the year, but that is like a serious improvement. Well, you know what? There'll be so many um, people listening to this podcast who will be absolutely, I mean, I know you've got enough supporters already, but you know, 100% back you. If there's anything um, we can do at Her Spirit to join you virtually along Making the way. Making bombs more comfortable when you're sitting on a cycle. That's one that's still hard. I've got like a little cushiony thing at home, but it's still not really doing Have you not got cycle shorts? No, I don't. Do I need cycle shorts? Oh yeah, right, okay. we we got we got lots of tips for you. Don't, we're we're, we're going to be in contact. You need cycle shorts. I've just been going. I've just been cycling my pajamas at home. No, uh, no, no, oh, no, no, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> right, clearly Mel, I need to. Clearly Mel, I need to change. Can we get a pair of cycle? She's giving it. Yeah, we'll get you a pair of cycle shorts. Yeah, we can get a special spirit ones for you. I mean, I can't. Oh, I nice. Mean, thank you. I can't guarantee that it will sort everything out, but it will. Won't it, Annie? Make a big, big difference. Oh my goodness me! Just, just the <laughs> thought of of not wearing cycling shorts on sitting on a bike for any length of time makes me wince, and I don't need to go into any detail. Okay, it just makes me go. <laughs> no, we can just no. the detail you do need to know is that you don't wear pants with them. Okay, no, that's all right. I'm saying. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll send you Anusha. Yeah. You, I'm going to let you go because you've got a lot to do. Oh, Ab- I mean, Thank such you. a such a such a pleasure to speak to you seriously and hear about your your amazing journey and just, just you're just brilliant, isn't she, Annie? Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel very, very grateful to have had this time with you and, um, you know, to, to talk to you because I find you really inspiring. And I think, you know, just some days we all need, a, you know, a, a big bit of a kick up the backside. And, 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 you know, I will listen back over this podcast because I always listen to our podcast because you can sometimes miss it when you're recording. And I know I'm going to take a huge amount away from it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Oh, Lucia, such a pleasure. Um, yeah, take care. And you and you managed to do the wedding in the end yeah so we managed to get them all sorted last so we had both the civil and the religious and it was administratively complicated we might have had to get three mps involved but we got it done yeah no that was another that was another problem uh but we got it done and my husband has been here with me since the 15th of august oh i'm so happy for you oh well listen say congratulations to you Um, say hello to him and you know thank you happy times to you you deserve you so deserve them thank you so many thanks to Anoushe. Um, as I said in the pod, I literally have been, since I read this book about her, with this chapter about her, Annie, honestly, I've been stalking her and going, Anoushe, can you come on the podcast? And she's so busy. Um, but she's eventually found time and I'm so grateful to her that she did. And I'm sure lots of people would have got a lot about out of what she had to say. Yeah, I, I really think so as well. And and I think, you know, the thing, the reason we do this podcast is to inspire, to help people, to help change people's lives for the better. And and I certainly took a whole lot away from that. And, and it, as she was speaking, it was kind of like more and more was coming out. And I was like, how does a 30-year-old, I think she must be about 32 now, 33, how has she dealt with this? You know, she's obviously a very yeah. bright girl, but some of the tools, some of the suggestions, I think, um, will help me, will help our listeners. And, and I just Absolutely. want to say a massive thanks to, Anusha for for being on the podcast today. Um, That aside, Louise, um, you have made a massive announcement today and it's very, very exciting. (laughs) 
Um, this podcast is going to come out some weeks after this day. But yeah, it's been a big day, Annie. I did actually, you, you were in what I call the circle of trust. There were very few people in the circle of trust before uh, big announcement day. So yes, I am. And I'm kind of going to cheer you. That's terrible, isn't it? Leaving BBC Breakfast only because it's going to mean that I don't have to get up at 3.40 in the morning. And we've talked about it so often, haven't we? How I'm not suited to those hours. And I've got so much to look forward to, not least of all, continuing with this podcast. Oh, I mentioned the podcast on the sofa. Did you see, Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Oh, oh my goodness, we've, anyway. all, we've all been doing secret little plugs, haven't we? Because I did a Super League podcast this morning <laughs> and I suddenly had did to start you, talking you? about Lucy Charles. And I said, actually, she was a, uh, she was, yes, she was a guest on my other on podcast, podcast. And the boys couldn't stop going on about it. So her spirit, because they were just taking the mickey of me in the end, got to mention. I said, listen, 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 guys, it's not going, there's, there's nothing here that is, you know, similar to what we're doing here. We talk about menopause, we talk about mm. this and that and all the rest of it on this podcast. And we get some so top no guests. Threats. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No, no threat. Anyway, so yeah, no, so the podcast got to mention. So I'm going to continue doing this. And as you know, Annie, I'm absolutely passionate about getting out there, doing stuff, uh, physical exercise, endurance sport. Goodness, no, we've got some plans, haven't we, going ahead? Um, so we'll see what happens. Lots of exciting See what happens plans. from now on. And I'm just so excited. When you told me, I was so excited. I wanted to cry for you because just the thought of getting up at 3.40 in the morning, any day, <laughs> one day in the year makes me want to cry. And you've done it for three days a week for 20 years. Girlfriend, it's time for a break. <laughs> oh, thanks. Listen all, we'll see you very soon. Thank you so much for listening. All your support. We really appreciate it. Bye-bye for now. Bye. 